please uh, turn to Acts chapter 10 uh, again, and <coughs> you find the text that we're going to be homing in on from this chapter in verse 33, where uh, Cornelius uh, is speaking on behalf of the people he's gathered together and says to Peter, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Mortimer Adler uh, wrote a classic book in 1940 called How to Read a Book. And a friend of mine uh, bought it and read it before going off to university. And he said it was one of the most significant books that he had ever read. Uh, because when he read this book, How to Read a Book, he discovered that he didn't really know how to read a book in such a way as to glean most from it. Here he gained insight into how to make a summary of the book's argument, uh, how to mark up his own copy of the book for future reference, uh, how to take the argument of the book and to set it alongside uh, other similar books, and how to come to his own position on the, the viewpoint that the book was taking. All of these things were new territory. And, and yet it's funny, isn't it? You would have thought the very fact that you're reading the book uh, was proof itself that you didn't need to read a book called How to Read a Book. Now, it's the same with listening to a sermon. How many sermons have uh, most of us here heard over the years? Uh, you're probably, if you're coming to church regularly, you're, you're probably listening to about 100 sermons a year. That's a lot of sermons, isn't it? Uh, and speaking as a sermon listener as well as a sermon preacher, I have to look back and think, you know, of all of the sermons I've listened to over the years, how much have I retained? How many sermons could I uh, give uh, the gist of? There are certain sermons that have obviously made a big impact. How effective have I been uh, under the Word of God, listening to and storing up what I heard, which at the time was making an impact, but was lost because it wasn't being recorded in some way that I could turn back to again. And so just as it, I think it can pay dividends for a prospective student to, to read a book like Adler's How to Read a Book, it can be beneficial to us as people who want to grow under the Word of God to think of what the Bible says about how we are to listen to a sermon. We seem in this little section here to have Dr. Luke, as it were, holding out for us the congregation that met in Cornelius' home as an example of an attentive congregation, people who listened well and were prepared well for the preaching of the Word. So we're, we're in this little season at the moment of considering the importance of the Word of God. We have looked at the uh, effectiveness of the Word of God, the primacy of the Word of God. We were looking last time at the message, the content that must be preached from the Word, what the congregation must be anticipating 
from the word, what its proper expectation is from the preacher that he will give the word of God as it is uh, in the scriptures. And now we're going to consider what it is to hear well, because clearly it doesn't make much difference to have a good transmitter of the word if the receiver is not picking up the message. Now, we, we have looked at the book of Acts, we looked at Acts uh, a number of years back uh, here in the church, and when we did, we, we saw that uh, Dr. Luke, in his prologue, speaks about this as being what Jesus continued to do in his church, and how it is a record of the outgrowth of the church, how the, the church which began in Jerusalem goes in uh, ever-increasing concentric circles to Samaria, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the record, in the history of this outward movement of the church, we read that there were conservative, traditionalist elements in the church who didn't approve of people who were from a Jewish background being welcomed into the church, at least not without lots of restrictions on, on them. And the gospel makes it very clear that it is by faith and faith alone in Christ that we are saved. And Jesus had already uh, spoken about the fact that with his coming, the ceremonial laws no longer apply. Uh, and so to authenticate the moving out of the gospel to Gentile areas in Samaria and further afield, God specifically authenticates it by remarkable and unrepeatable occurrences. And so we have here what is really a mini-Pentecost, authenticating the giving of the Holy Spirit to a Gentile such as Cornelius. You have a similar thing happening in Samaria where the gospel goes out and to a group of believers in Ephesus who had only heard of John's baptism. Uh, so because of where we are in the movement of the, 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 the Spirit in the church, we have some uh, extraordinary events. But within, within the account, there is that which is, in a sense, very ordinary, which is uh, something which is to be expected in every era, and that is the powerful, transforming power of the Word of God, applied by the Holy Spirit to those who are attentively submitting themselves to it. Cornelius, a God-fearing man, has been instructed by an angel in a vision to send for Peter, who is lodging uh, a day and a half journey's distance from him in Joppa. Peter is also prepared by a vision from God, which declares to him that he is not to consider what God has made clean to be unclean. Now, there's an application to food, the ceremonial laws, but if Peter uh, rightly discerns, it's also to do with people who are not Jewish. They are to be welcomed. They're not to be considered as outcasts. The gospel is for all. God shows no favoritism. Uh, and as Peter is making sense of the vision, Cornelius' servants arrive uh, with a request, and having been urged by the Spirit to go along with them, Peter goes with them and ends up preaching to this little congregation that Cornelius has gathered in his house. 
Now, as we said, it's a unique situation in some ways because of its location in redemption history. Uh, the dramatic finale to Peter's sermon uh, happens in order to show God's blessing on the ingathering of the Gentiles and the abolition of the ceremonial food laws. But in every other respect, that little gathering there in Cornelius' house is patterned for us as we think through this morning of what it is to listen to a sermon. What is it that we must do to prepare ourselves to receive the Word of God? There are three aspects. Uh, there is a, a physical preparation, uh, things that we do uh, bodily to prepare our minds so that we are receptive, intellectually, if you will. Uh, there are things that we do as well that will prepare our hearts, spiritual preparation. And then there are preparations of our attitude, which mean that our will will be submissive and ready for the Word of God. So we're thinking of preparing our minds and our hearts and our wills for the preaching of the Word of God. How do we prepare physically then? How do we pre prepare our minds? <clears throat> Here's the timeline. Cornelius' servants leave sometime after three o'clock in the afternoon, arrive at noon the next day, stay overnight in Joppa, uh, leave the following day, arriving on the fourth day. In the interim, Cornelius has used the time well. Fully expecting Peter to come, he has got word around so that his friends and relatives are, are gathered up. He rounds them up to form a congregation. And he can say, when Peter arrives, here we are, we're all gathered. Now, the, the first and the most obvious point to make is that the word is to be heard and responded to in the context of a congregation. That's how we're to hear the preaching, and that's the context which best enables us to be responsive in a gathered context. The writer to the Hebrews warns, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. See, uh, you could, um, I'm not commending this, but you could stay at home and download uh, Tim Keller's sermons and they would all be better than uh, my sermons, but it would still not be a good thing to do. Uh, because we are to hear the word preached in the context of the gathered people of God in the congregation. Now, hearing the word is part of our worship. I shouldn't need to remind you, because I've said it often enough, that worship is not to be equated with singing. In the wider evangelical church, it often is. You know, uh, we're going to have a time of worship and then we'll come to the preaching of the word. Okay, so worship is finished before the preaching happens. And that's terrible. That's really quite heretical. Uh, singing is praise. But worship encapsulates all that is done uh, when we are gathered before the presence of God. And part of our worship is the reverent hearing of the word of God. From the very 
opening part of walking into church when we give our offerings to the receiving of the blessing of God at the end, we are engaged in worship, friends, and that's a, that's a marvellous thought to think that every aspect is part of our worship. Not just the singing, but also the hearing of the Word and listening to the Word attentively as a gathered congregation constitutes our worship. And being together enables us to hear the Word as we are intended to. So if you skip church, you're failing your brothers and sisters because you should be there. You should be there to encourage them as part of that worship experience. Also, I think when we read of Cornelius' words, it's hard to escape a sense of readiness, of preparedness, alertness even. Now, we're all here. Here's a man who's been working hard over these last four days to be ready for this occasion. And now he can say to Peter, it's systems go. We're gathered here, ready to hear whatever the Lord has to say to you. Isn't that a tremendous attitude to come with? I think these people were physically ready for what was about to happen. Uh, we should be physically prepared for the Lord's Day. And that includes all kinds of things. Let's be really mundane about this. It, it means that we have a good night's sleep on a, a Saturday through the Sunday morning so that we come to church alert. This is the high point of our week. The Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is our highlight. Therefore, we want to come and we want to garner everything the Lord has for us in a condition of alertness, physical alertness. We don't want to be sluggish or sleepy on the Lord's Day. We want to be fresh. We want to be alert. And we want to use everything that will enable us to hear and reflect on the Word of God. Uh, taking notes is one of these helps. Uh, in a couple, there's a couple of good things about uh, writing down in, in sermons. And those of you who've been students know that even the, the act of taking notes uh, does help you to remember and be more alert during whatever it is, a lecture, and certainly a sermon. So it enables us to be alert, but also we've got the added benefit of having a record to go back on later on whether we have a notebook or whether we're simply writing on the margin of our Bible. And there's a lot to be said for that, because when you go to your Bible later on, you have something there uh, which has blessed you. And we should have our Bibles. That, again, is something which is uh, obvious, but uh, it's good to take your own Bible to church. Uh, you can, of course, pick up a Bible when you arrive in church, but I want to suggest to you that it's so much better and so much more powerful a witness to carry a Bible to church. Uh, we're not ashamed of going to worship God in his day and of the Word of God, so why not let people see us take our Bible with us? And during the preaching of the Word, when there are cross-references. You know how sometimes we'll be looking at, uh, say, a passage like this, and we're looking at Acts 10, verse 33, but in the course of the sermon, other parts of the Bible will be referred to. 
You know, from up here, it's a great encouragement to hear the rustling of pages of the Bible because it is an assurance that not everybody is sleeping at that point, that there are people who are uh, alert and also are checking up to see if what the preacher is saying is biblical, Bible material. When Paul went to Berea, uh, it's recorded that uh, the Bereans uh, were of more noble character, and they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. They were commended for that. They didn't, they didn't just accept it because Paul was saying it. They wanted to know that what he was saying was true. So it's great to have your Bible, to annotate your Bible, to check up during the sermon that what is being said is true, is Bible stuff. Uh, these, all these different things keep us alert. They help us physically uh, to be mindful of what we are uh, hearing. So we need to have our wits about us to listen to a sermon. We should listen in a state of mind that's conducive to concentration. Uh, so we're gathered with worshippers. We're fresh. We're not uh, sleepy. Uh, we're not distracted by having had to rush to church. Listening is like tuning into a radio station. You know, if you, you tune in and you, you haven't quite got the place, you're, you're actually listening to maybe two stations at the same time. And that's not a very pleasant listening experience. Well, it's not easy to think about the Word of God if at the same time you're wondering, did I leave the cooker on? Uh, when I left in a rush this morning, no? Uh, it's good to have our mind focused on the one thing which is important. Uh, listening is always making a choice, uh, a choice of what will have our concentration. And, you know, when Cornelius says, we're all here, uh, he's speaking physically. Yes, all are here that were told about the meeting. They've all gathered. But there's also a sense in which uh, they're there body and mind, you know. Uh, they're not there physically and their mind is somewhere else, but they're all here. They're all here. Ready. We're ready to go, Peter. We're ready to hear you. We're on the starting blocks. Physically prepared. <clears throat> but important as being fresh and physically prepared is spiritual preparation uh, is even more important. Now, I think it's significant, if you look at the verse in the wider context, it's significant that the word came to this man and not to others. It comes to Cornelius. Uh, he wasn't a Jew, remember? He believed in God, the, Jew, the, God, the God the Jews worshipped, the one true God, and he held to their scriptures. Uh, he was not only a devout man, praying regularly at stated times, his religion was practical. He gave generously to those who were in need. Now, we know, we should know, that these things don't save you. So he wasn't a saved man at this point. He wasn't in the kingdom. But God had taken notice of his earnestness. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance or a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. I want to say this to you, Cornelius was a clean receptor for the word of God. He was a clean receptor 
for the word of God. You know how it is when uh, a satellite dish you know, for, for your Sky TV or whatever, when it becomes all rusty with being out in the elements. After a while, it's not a clean receptor. You know, the, the, the rust covers over, bits fall off, and it is no longer picking up the signals. And we can be like that in our lives. You know, sin acts as a rust and will keep us from hearing God. And sometimes God takes the, the, the hammer or the, the blowtorch of suffering to our lives in order to get our attention, to get rid of the, the flakiness that is keeping us from hearing him. We have found in Cornelius someone who was clean, a clean receptor. He wasn't saved, but he, he was seeking God. He was ready to hear and to do what God would say to him. And so he invites Peter to preach to them and notice he acknowledges the deep reality of their situation. We are all here in the presence of God. He really has got a handle on, on what, what's happened here. It's not just a meeting, but we're here in God's presence. Now that's the wonderful thing about what happens every time we are in public worship like this. We are gathered before the presence of God. The important thing is not the preacher who is standing behind the lectern. The important thing is that God is here. Remember last, uh, last Lord's evening we were thinking about uh, Jacob at Bethel and about how he discovered uh, surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And in this marvelous new covenant way that's what we say of hope church hope church when we're gathered to worship it is for us the house of god the gate of heaven and god is in this place it's an awe-inspiring reality and therefore if we're gathered before god how careful we should be to leave behind all sin. We should prepare our hearts for the preaching of the Word. What does that mean in practice? Uh, well, think about how just the, the, the moments before we, we come uh, to engage in worship. We should, we should still ourselves. I have to be honest, I'm not really in favor of the deathly silence before uh, church that, that sometimes pertains because we, we also are coming as the family of God and we rejoice in one another's presence. But then it comes to just before the hour for the, the start of service and it's good for us, isn't it, to have that, that sense of just being hushed before God and to have moment or two where we do want to ask the Lord just to prepare our hearts and to, to free us from any sin that we've clung to, that we might be spiritually tuned. And then at the end of the service, as we are responding to the Word of God, uh, not to 
engage in chattering immediately, but just to be quiet before God as we quietly respond to what he has said to us. It seems to me that's, that's a very appropriate way of acknowledging that we are before God himself. And then during the preaching, we, we're listening to the very word of God. God it is God who is addressing us, and therefore we, we ought to give him all our attention, shouldn't we? We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be chatting or, or, or whatever. Anything that we do which we would be ashamed to do before an earthly king insults the majesty of God. So listening to God's word requires spiritual preparation because this is not just an intellectual exercise. It is, in a sense. It's requiring our, our mind's attention, so we need to be prepared. But uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be here, and he is going to be inwardly applying his word. He will be calming our fear. He will be bringing comfort uh, to our sorrow. He will be disturbing our conscience. Uh, he will be exposing our sin. He will be proclaiming God's grace. Uh, he will be coming to reassure us of God's fatherly care. He will be making Jesus more precious to us. And all of these things pertain to our hearts. And therefore, we want to have our hearts tuned, as it were, to receive the word of God. Hearts that are clean and receptive. And then thirdly and finally, uh, we'll want to have our will prepared through a right attitude. Uh, Cornelius says, now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He really has a right attitude as his people with him who an attitude which means that their will is submissive and receptive to the word of God. Uh, he has a right attitude to the message that they are about to hear. They realize it is from God. Now, of course, in Cornelius' case, that, that was unmistakably and vividly real because he had been told by an angel that God had a message for him. And Peter had been conditioned by a visitation of the angel also. So it was very, very clear. But that is routinely the case for us, if we can use that word, when we gather to worship God, it is, uh, who speaks. And we've seen that already as we've thought about the, the nature of the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. And the work of the preacher is to expose, to reveal, to make plain the words of God. So God is speaking to the gathered people. When Peter does preach, uh, it's a message about God, about God's character. He is the sovereign God. He does not discriminate in grounds of race. He has a plan of salvation. Uh, it's a message about Jesus. He is Lord of all about his wonderful life. He went about doing good and healing those who were in thrall to the evil one. Uh, it speaks about his death and resurrection and his coming one day to judge. And he finishes by proclaiming 
the offer of forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes. So it's really important for us <coughs> to have this attitude that we are receiving the word of God. God speaking to us through the scriptures. Secondly, he has a right attitude to the preacher. And he recognizes that Peter had a message that God has commanded him to tell. Peter is a man under orders. He is a commission to discharge. And every preacher worth his salt is like that. The preacher has no liberty to make the message different from what it is, to spice it up, to tone it down, to make it more palatable, to make it more uh, acceptable to modern ears. He doesn't have freedom to say anything apart from what the Bible says. And a congregation that recognizes that, that's eager for the word, that will, will be tuned in to that truth. And they will pray for the preacher that he will preach what he has been commanded, and that alone. And they will search the scriptures to see that that is true. And then thirdly, they're gathered with a right attitude towards themselves. They have an attitude to the message, to the preacher, and also to themselves. And it's a submissive, receptive spirit. We're here to hear all that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Uh, they haven't excluded <coughs> any part of God's word. They're open to whatever it is that God will say. They are here to respond positively to the word of God. Uh, they're not there to rate a preacher. Uh, this is a world away from, from a bunch of people who are sitting you know, with, with scorecards ready to, to give their eight or their three uh, to the preaching of the word. They're there to obey whatever it is that the Lord will say to them. Uh, you know, all of us, myself included, are guilty of, of thinking of how a preacher has got on. In, in times past in Scotland, times past when, when things were healthier in the church, people would ask one another, not how did the preacher get on, but how did you get on under the preaching? How did you get on under the preaching? And that's a more revealing question, isn't it? What dealings did God have with you? How have you obeyed the word of God? Really listening to a sermon involves a prepared mind, a prepared heart, and a prepared will. And if we, if we do that, if we come with the attitude of Cornelius and his congregation, we can expect wonderful things to happen. Now what did happen then, the, the mini-Pentecost was an extraordinary occurrence. But the Holy Spirit is present and sovereign in our gathering and will transform us if we come with this attitude. And then finally, the best way to tell that we are listening to the sermon 
isn't how we live. Our lives should actually be repeating the sermons. We should be two-legged sermons as we go out from church. Paul wrote to some of the people who listened to his sermons, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. May God make us all good listeners of the Word. Amen.